Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast that can't imagine life without CNN and John King's wall. My name's Corey Hazelhurst and my partner in propaganda is Steve Haynes. Hey, Corey. And from the People's Republic of New York, it's once again Patrick Cook. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Corey and Steve. And everybody knows in America they're watching Steve Kornacki and MSNBC. John King's got nothing on, on Steve Kornacki. <laughs> Hopefully we'll have enough champagners in four years' time that we can have our own Not Enough Champagne wall. I imagine it'll just be kind of me with a Sharpie. Draw, drawing now, on my living room. Now, be careful with Sharpies, remember. They can cause problems in the state of Arizona with votes, uh, so say if the, some of the GOP at least. Lovely. We've not even. And redirecting, been, where, we've, and we've, redirecting where hurricanes are going. We've only been pop broadcasting so far for 30 seconds, and Steve is already spreading election disinformation. This is not going well. <laughs> um, Oh, so, are you real? Are you real American, really, uh, Steve? <laughs> so it is two forty-seven on Saturday. I think New York time. That's about nine forty-seven, isn't it? We are expecting Correct. Joe Biden to be called president at some point in the next day or two. But we are when all votes. That's for May twenty twenty-one. Let's see what happens on right yeah. around noon on January twentieth. Yeah. Um, so we thought in, in this episode, we try and give our initial thoughts on how we think the race has gone. Um, it, if, if we wanted to be sanctimonious, we could talk about how this is the first draft of history, or we could just say it's our kind of rather frazzled hot takes with too much coffee and not enough sleep. But I think one thing is clear, as ITV's Mark Austin said, never again can Americans mock cricket for lasting for days without providing a clear outcome. episode very much a game of two halves we are going to talk about almost like it was a normal presidential race and talk about what went well for the republicans what went well for the democrats what maybe didn't go so well for either party and then we are going to of course talk about the fact it isn't really a normal election and the president of the united states doesn't really seem up to accepting the result and then we'll talk about what the implications of that might be uh, we'll talk about the Democrats first, and it's been delegated for me to sort of kick off that conversation. Um, what went well for the Democrats? Well, they got a lot of votes, didn't they? So Joe Biden at the moment poll has got over 74 million votes, which I think is probably the most votes ever, which is quite decent. It looks like he'll have a massive margin in the popular vote. And I suppose if you're a Democrat, you'd probably be quite happy to have won the popular vote seven of the last eight presidential elections. As I say, it's not confirmed yet. And there will be recounts, I think, especially in Georgia. But it looks like uh, Biden will probably take Nevada and Arizona and Pennsylvania, probably Georgia as well, which would give him 306 electoral college votes, which is a mirror image of Trump's win four years ago, which, as we all remember, was the biggest landslide vote in the history of American presidential elections. A lot of that is due to some organising that's happened in some of those states. So particularly places, people like Stacey Abrams in Georgia, who ran for governor and didn't just go away after she lost because of 
voter suppression there. She stayed and organised and got people registered to vote. And that seems to have done, been pivotal in making that race so close. And this is going to be especially important given it looks like there'll be a couple of Senate races in Georgia in January now as well. And also, generally, Biden's campaign has he's done a pretty decent job hasn't he so he seems to have he's definitely flipped michigan and wisconsin certainly seems to have won pennsylvania when we're recording this and that's partly actually because unlike clinton he went and campaigned there but also because he talked about things like the minimum wage talked about his build back better plan about clean energy talked about them in the the debates lots of tv ads as well which is nice so that's what went well What hasn't maybe gone so well is that although the Democrats seem to have done pretty well in the presidential election, didn't really do well in House or Senate races. So all of the Senate races, which I think we talked about on our podcast for the Champagners, so the toss-ups in Montana, in Maine, for example, Republicans have won there. Actually, Republicans have made gains in the House as well. And I don't think the Republicans have lost a single House seat so far there was hope of uh, a blue wave and a landslide win of taking places like texas and florida that hasn't happened one of the reasons that seems to have happened is because a lot of latino voters in texas and florida actually voted republican which we assume is probably down to fears over socialism but we can talk about that also although a lot of ground organizing seems to have happened in terms of registering voters issues with digital spending, which I'm I'm sure we'll talk about. And the other thing I think is actually that just in terms of the electoral map, I think it's very difficult for Democrats at the moment, isn't it? And that's partly for a couple of reasons. It's partly, it's hard to make the gains in the Senate when 70% of Senate seats are in places where there's only 30% of the population, which tends to be rural Republicans. And I think the other thing is we talked about how massive the Biden-Harris vote total is and how overwhelming the popular vote will be. I've just finished reading Rick Perlstein's book on the 1980 election race, which is very, very good. And Ronald Reagan, won. he only won 51% of the vote. But that was enough for him to have a massive landslide. Carter only won 49 electoral college votes in 1980. Reagan's able to get this massive landslide mammoth win which obviously reshapes American society on 51%. Carter's probably going to get a lot more. Um, Carter, confusing my old white Democrats. Um, Biden's going to get a lot more than that, but not have such a mandate for massive change. And I think that might be, an, it, again, we're not going to, let's not speculate on Biden's presidency yet because we've not even like got this election out of the way. But it's going to be hard, I think, for Biden to make massive changes given there's going to be this Republican Uh, Congress in effect. Is that a fair, if maybe slightly long-winded summary? Who wants to go first? Uh, You both got your hands up. Steve has more fingers up though, so let's go to Steve and then... (laughs) I mean, that, that, that's as good a way to determine it as ever. Um, uh, yeah, I think it is broadly uh, a, 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 a fair uh, assessment of where the uh, Democrats are in terms of what went right and, and what went wrong for them. We're very much in the, in the early days of any kind of analysis of strengths and weaknesses that we can see from, from all of this, because we do quite literally need to wait for every vote to be counted so we can actually take a full assessment of things. But of the th- things that have been kind of, uh, that, that you listed um, there, um, there are a couple of things which, to me, stand out as things that you can that are one really obvious, or, or two, the Democrats definitely need to be jumping on sooner rather than later because it, it's obvious that it is a problem. So first, we've got Florida. 
which no matter what way you cut it, was a bad result for the Democrats. They lost seats in Congress in Miami-Dade County. Like this is the the was meant to be the heart of the Democratic vote, and they're losing votes there, seemingly because the uh, Latino vote um, was voting Republican. It could just be down to, hey, these communities don't like socialism. The Democrats are being portrayed as socialists, therefore they didn't vote for that. But at the same time, like um, AOC, one of the first things that she kind of put out once the results were kind of coming in and it was clear what was happening, um, was she basically said, we warned the DNC and we warned the Democratic leadership about failures in the the Latino community uh, in terms of kind of building up that trust, building those relationships and getting them on board especially in relation to Florida, they were warned about that and they, they just didn't do anything for it. They didn't, they seemingly took it for granted, which in turn has, has seriously hurt them down in Florida. Um, but at the same time as that, um, AOC again uh, has managed to kind of, uh, despite having gone through a grueling campaign herself to get reelected, despite her being like a major uh, talking head, has still somehow found the time to uh, not only just jump on Twitch and start gaming with people with YouTube streamers, but also like start doing her own analysis of things. And what's what's what I'm quite interested in 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 her analysis so far, at least, is that it hasn't just been the typical. Oh well, if we'd run like a more le- on a more left wing policy platform or or whatever, you know, we'd be uh, you know we'd, we'd we'd have done better. It's it's not that she's actually looking at figures and data and doing things that are actually relevant and interesting because she's dived into as you said the digital kind of like spending figures that the um senate campaigns house campaigns and the kind of like state down ballot races were having and in the middle of a pandemic she was basically able to identify that all of the uh, pretty much all of the ones at the time she did the analysis at least that we'd lost had very poor sorry we that the democrats lost had got had very poor levels of digital campaigning and digital infrastructure so again something that the democrats need to work on and identified very very clearly AOC for DCCC. <laughs> AOC is really, I think, uh, it, analysis is really interesting, mainly because, yes, she she ran, she is in a very safe district that she represents her district incredibly well, which is between, she's in what they call minority-majority district. Yeah, I thought her analysis was really interesting. But I think the other thing that Democrats have to uh, start to, rem- that they need to remember is that all you need is 270 electoral votes. You don't need landslides. You need to... F- you need to shore up the blue wall, which currently has a couple of more stones on its stone wall, but it still could be jumped over by a horse. Both of your, your things are spot on. But I think one of the things that, that I think if the Democrats need to understand more than anything is that you gotta, you have to build the base in such a way and you can't let rest on your laurels, but also don't believe that landslides are possible. Florida is a very interesting state. It is a state that is maybe growing in, in Latinos, but also has at the same very interesting level of population growth in old white seniors, which tend to come from states like where I'm from, New York and Northeast, which tends to be a lot of people that don't want to pay higher taxes in New York move down where there's no income tax in Florida. The weather's nice year round and, and, and they, you know, houses are rather cheap. In, in huge senior communities, and that kind of can make it a wash. Democrats did well by rebuilding their rebuilding their blue wall on on on, on the statewide, but Pennsylvania is a good example. Right now, the two state state uh, the two state uh, 
wide offices are going to be are, are favoring Republicans, beating Democrats. So like there still is a lot of issues for the Democrats in state level, a lot of what mm -hmm. should be solidly Democratic states. But I think that there is real positives. Stacey Abrams in Georgia, her for DNC, if they, if they know what they're if they know they're good for her, for her, let her run to DNC and and 50 straight strategy and campaigning would be good. But uh, Ben Winkler, the deep did the um, Democratic Party of, of Wisconsin, Wisconsin Democratic Party's uh, uh, executive director. There's been a lot of positives in some of these places where targeted investments has made them stronger with money. And there's some bright spots, but overwhelmingly it was a wash. They lost, they're down to seven seats according right now to the projections in the house. You know, definitely some real things that need to be looked at in Democrats in that, you know, they're, it's better than what I was seeing after the 2016 election, but they got, seems a little bit, hubris came into play based on what they did in 2018 and in the 2020 you take out you know you've taken out their their bread and butter which is grassroots campaigning because of the pandemic and boom they they they've lost their strongest edge against republicans and they don't have facebook to help them like the republicans do i find it interesting that a lot of this talk is very similar to the talk leading into the 2016 election because part of the reason why we talked about that the blue wall was talked about is because it was thought, well, actually the Democrats and Hillary Clinton have this lock on the Electoral College because they've got, I can't remember how many votes it was, but like 250, 260 seats votes signed, cemented. Um, meanwhile, one of the things that had happened over the eight years of Obama's presidency was although the Democrats had done pretty well in the White House races, hadn't done very well in terms of statewide races, in terms of, say, gubernatorial elections, state Senate elections, all that kind of stuff that they hadn't built these state parties. From what you're both saying then, four years on, actually, <laughs> Democrats are in exactly the same position. 100%, yeah. And the other thing that potentially is, is an issue here, which I'm, I think we'll, we'll talk about when we discuss the Republicans, um, but is that the incredibly high level of turnout, which basically everybody seen, uh, worked on the assumption high turnout equals good for Democrats, and we forgot that the people republicans can turn out as well the main issue i feel for the democrats at the moment as you say it isn't like a, an existential issue it's a process issue it's it's just how do we actually start campaigning and organizing properly in the communities we need to actually get um, activated for elections so that they actually turn out when we need them because at the moment they're, they're not doing that and they're having to rely seemingly on like air wars and national swing and, and things like that and it's 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 not necessarily working. Um, and we're seeing with the, the this set of election results, you know, even if, you know, the final set of military mail-in ballots somehow flipped Georgia back to being red again, it's very unlikely to happen. But like, if that were to happen, like that wouldn't undermine actually the success that Stacey Abrams has had in making Georgia a competitive state at the presidential level. Not to mention the fact that if you've got these people activated for this, you can probably get them activated for the runoff and if you can, uh, in January for the two Senate seats. But for whatever reason, the Democrats don't seem to have twigged that the, the solution to pretty much all of their problems. Whether you are talking to how do we make sure ethnic minorities uh, turn out uh, for us or, hey, how do we start actually winning over some of these rural white communities? The answer's the same. It's community organising. But they've not done that because I think they've just not had the right people in, in positions to do it. 
you're right, nationally, there is exceptions to the rule. Wisconsin has has really worked on this concept of relational relation relational organizing. And so that, that's what Wisconsin did a lot of more community building and a lot of the stuff. Now, the problem is they're not going to see super gains in their state house and state senate since they're gerrymandered to the extreme. But that, you know, Wisconsin shows the example of a well-run state party that has targeted investments, you know, can do the community organizing. And also, Steve, I think your former limb debness is coming through of getting people to vote once, activating them and staying in contact one becomes a lib dem voter. And it's good to see. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Mark, by the way, in the wild. Hello, Mark. <laughs> um, the, the other thing that strikes me is that, I mean, you talked about national swing, Steve. It feels like actually there is no real national swing it's one of those things actually where a lot of the that there is no i don't think simplistic reading into any of the metrics for democratic performance it's not a well they should run more left or they should run more to the center it really does depend on different states so we've talked about um the latino voters in texas and florida um who seem to have been skewed a lot often because those kind of voters as, as Patrick was saying when we caught up on election night tend to be Cuban or Venezuelan emigres who have a historical antipathy to socialism should we say but that isn't the case in places like Arizona and Georgia and so on the one hand possibly the fact that the Democrats and Biden have tried to be categorized as socialists seems to maybe put a few people off and maybe some people were put off by the defund police but actually that's not really the case in a lot of places where one of the charts that AOC put out as part of her analysis shows Democratic voter registration surging after the, the initial shooting of George Floyd and the protests that that sparked. In a, in a UK election, it actually, a lot of things tend to go on national swing. You know, John Curtis does his exit poll. It says, all right, well, we know what the result's going to be now. There is this uniform national swing Labour Tory. Uh, and that tends to play itself out in a lot of seats across the land. That doesn't seem to happen in a lot of seats uh, in a lot of states in America, I suppose, because it is such a diverse place. As you were kind of saying that, I'm just kind of being drawn back to like my uh, A-level government and politics um, <laughs> lessons where my, my, my teacher, Mr. Sweeney, said that the United States isn't a two-party system. It's a hundred-party system because each of the different states has their own separate GOP and Democrat parties and actually a Republican in New York has got more in common with the Democrat opponent in New York than he does the uh, Republican in deepest darkest Tennessee um, or Mississippi because they're just so vastly different things and so when you talk about the you know there is no clear kind of like national swing or kind of like national thing it's all like that kind of state specific to each kind of area specific to each region more broadly given how these things work you're, you're, you're absolutely right and that's a kind of a historic thing and again it's it's something that i feel like the democrats have just not quite grasped they're focusing on trickling down when they need to be focusing on building up yeah democrats should never look think of trickle down as a thing that you should ever do <laughs> it's not good in economics it's not good in party building i have hope that biden who is a person that's been involved in, in party building and you know while the president doesn't have incredible control over like the leader of a, of a UK political party over how their party runs he is a lifelong democrat even some of his messaging had become for democrats that usually doesn't happen where you're you're usually focused just on your own race yeah I mean there's, there's just another little kind of like tidbit of information on this um, I remember coming across um, at some point over the past couple of days a discussion about how certain members of the of the squad I think it was Ilan Omar and 
Rashida Tlaib, um, but in Tlaib um, particularly, um, she actually was still actually doing some door-to-door campaigning and, and things and things like that during uh, during the, the election, which obviously, as you say, a lot of Democrats weren't doing. And you can actually see that in the areas where she was actually active and, and things like vote was going up and it, you can see that it actually is working and you can see how it's helped secure a state, um, if not outright win it. Who knew that actually campaigning in an election might help? <laughs> so it's a uh, radical yeah. prospect. I know. Yeah, they, like, there's a belief that both of those uh, those two members of the squads helped uh, deliver those states for Biden. Yeah. One, one other thing that, in terms of that, makes me hopeful for Democrats is the one area where the president has a considerable amount of power that is that is not needed congressional approval to use it is on immigration and national security. So. With Biden in the office, Biden in presidency and, you know, getting rid of children in cages and making the immigration system a little bit more fair doesn't require congressional approval to make a lot of those changes. Anyway, I think we've, I, I think I've got everything I want to talk about, Al. Yeah. Shall we move on to the Republicans side of it? So, Patrick, what, what went well for the Republicans then? What, what was good about their night? What could, what could have been better? A very interesting night for the Republicans. There's stuff if I was a Republican hack that I would, I would be happy to see what I, if I was happy that the party is, um, in, has, has the ability to win independent of Trump. Because there's areas where in Pennsylvania and in all these states where down ballot Republican candidates outrun Donald Trump in a lot of places, along with that there was, and we'll see this hopefully in data in the next couple of months, is how much split tickets there were, where they where people voted for Biden on top of the ticket and voted for down ballot Republicans because they actually are Republican at the end. Good days for Republicans. The Republicans ran real good state house state races across the boards. So the Democrats didn't flip any, most likely aren't going to flip any sizable now. And a lot of these states, the vote's still not in and there's going to be mail-in ballots. New York's a great example of it. They're really not going to even, we don't know what's going to happen in the state house and state senate and some of the seats until they start counting absentee, which is not until next Tuesday. So, but and generally speaking, they ran decent candidates in a lot of these state house races and held on to stuff that showing that polling is wrong. But, you know, Montana reverted to the mean. In, in that they, they still gave a sizable majority back to ones. There's a lot of positive, hopefully, that, that means show that there's life for the Republican Party after Trump and they aren't tied to Trump's future. Now to the negatives of the Republican races. The Republican race still, made, while made small gains in minority votes, I wonder if that is more tied to the fact that Trump is an outsider and not a standard Republican is why they gave a shot on him overwhelmingly still looks at the coalition is still predominantly a certain type of white person. The question, if I'm Republicans, is is that did Trump cause a high turnout because his his base coalition is so strong, while smaller is very strong. And if Trump's the reason why there was a high turnout on the Republican side, and either for that and for Democrats, which probably could get their voters out more likely than Republicans can, I guess you could say, the, the question will be whether Trump drove drove the turnout that they saw because they got a certain low propensity rural voter that usually doesn't vote to, to, feel, to be hopeful in the electoral system again and, and voted for Trump. And you wonder if they will go away when Trump is no longer on the ballot. 
And that is, I think, the big question, because the same, same thing the Democrats ran into, ran into with Obama, where their focus was mostly on Obama and not on down-ballot races and party building. Or did they get a stay of execution towards having the tough questions of mo moderating their policy positions and changing some of their policies to, to be competitive to a rapidly uh, diversifying American electorate? If you're Republicans, the notion that high turnouts favor Repu Democrats has been broken. You get your voters out, you can win. But I wonder, the, the, the thing I'm wondering is that they saw a huge turnout in a lot of states. I wonder if if this idea of restricting restricting the vote in a lot of these places that we've seen, they'll seize to them that they actually can win when they have good candidates and run good ones, whether they will, and this is the hope, this is the Democratic hope in me, is that they will realize that expanding voter participation is good for Republicans if you run good candidates. I don't know that one, but the Republicans had a good night across the board. It was a wash. The Republicans held their own in a lot of states. They lost to Georgia. It's huge for them. They don't want that to be a swing state. It's a rapidly, the pop, that's a state that's most likely going to gain maybe one, maybe two represent a congressman and electoral colleges are going to go up. Arizona is another one that could possibly gain another one. Those are two states that are going to become more in play. And if those are going to become a larger ones and, and, you're going to add probably, and if depending on where the population centers are, the Democrats might have another chance to two more congressional districts. You really don't want that incredibly to happen. But if I'm the Republicans, I am incredibly happy that down ballot Republicans were able to run independently of Trump and Trump didn't take them down. But what I also would be worried about is that did Trump create a huge turnout that Republicans will be hard to match when he's not on the ballot? The the other thing I would uh, I would say is, because one of the things you, you highlighted there, Patrick, was the, um, uh, the, the exit polls, which seemed to suggest that um, the Republicans were picking up more of a, uh, an ethnic minority vote. Like you're right in that it's it's, it's entirely possible that the, the reason for this is, hey, Trump isn't a typical Republican, therefore they're willing to give him more of a shot. But it's also that the reality is that's from exit polling. We know for a fact that the people who are turning up on, on the day um, and they're a lot more likely to be participating in exit polling um, are going, we're going to be Republicans. The flip side of that is, though, that Trump also did better with ethnic minority voters in 2016. He did better than Mitt Romney did. So this would be a trend that would carry on. That's my point to the thing of that. I'm wondering if it's the game changer was Trump as the Republican nominee and whether that whether that it would revert to the mean with a standard Republican. Because I can't imagine that Tom Cotton, crazy Tom Cotton, would get the same would get the same like level of ethnic minority vote that that Trump would or Doug Collins or Dink, you know, any of any of the like similar po political political like views as Trump would get the same level of ones. Yeah, so I think there's a few things, aren't there? So one of them in, on turnout, and it, it's a theme of the podcast we've had and we've talked about it over the last few months is high turnout favours Democrats. And actually what seems to have happened is there's probably a sweet spot round about probably high 50s, maybe 60%, where if that had been a turnout, probably we would have seen a a Biden landslide and, and the blue wave. The reason we didn't see that is because the Republicans also had massive turnout as well. So we almost went be, beyond the event horizon where the yeah, voters yeah. who tend not to vote, who are probably part of Trump's base, uh, but probably also don't get contacted by polls were also coming out and voted. And that does seem to have happened. Trump's campaigning in the final weeks of the campaign did make a difference. All those rallies all that energy, all that getting out of his base, that that does seem to have worked, that he's a very 
he's a very accomplished political demagogue, which I think it's it's easy to forget given the amount of loathing that, that there is. But I think the flip side of that also is that he's probably also put off a lot of traditional Republican voters, as you've said, Patrick. I mean, what, one thing I, I thought was interesting, so Frank Luntz mentioned this on Newsnight earlier this week. So what he argued was that Trump's performance in the first debate where he was continually interrupting Biden, not really very presidential, who, who knew, um, that probably might have put off the can of suburban women that actually, had he not had such a disastrous performance in that debate, he could well be in the White House now. Um, which I, th I think is interesting. So it, it's kind That's of- It's a case for Mike Pence. Terrible, but at least he's nice about it. <laughs> can we please not speculate about the 2024 Republican race? Let's, <laughs> we've got a whole shower of nightmares before we- Oh, Corey, we've already had discussions about the 2024 de Democratic race. That's true. Well, it's going to be Harris, isn't it? Um, anyway. But she'll lose because of electoral college and- um, what else and institutional racism as well don't forget yeah. about that I'm trying to think what else i've got on here and um yeah and actually and the, the performances of people like susan collins actually uh in maine who seem to have won quite in oh i forgot about that in the end independently of trump because i think biden's got most of the electoral college votes there but susan collins has got re-elected and and, and the, the other thing is as well as the as I, as I say trump historically has done better with ethnic minority voters um, at the Republican convention, a lot of black and Latino voices were put on that Republican convention. So actually that there, there has been an attempt, I think, to reach out to to different groups as well. Uh, just finally, is on, it may be, is, is maybe on mail-in voting that actually, if we assume, yeah, actually Republicans can win with higher turnout, if Trump had actually said, well, actually, yes, I know it's, we, we can use this to kind of go into the election bringing stuff. But what they've been saying on CNN this morning is, had they had Trump actually encourage people to vote my mail, he might be in the White House now because at the moment it looks like Biden's going to win because of that massive shift in Democratic strongholds voting by mail. If if you'd have pushed more Republicans to vote by mail, maybe it's a different story. That's my theory about that. You know, the mail-in ballots. I was yeah, they were saying on MSNBC this morning as well. Like the most bonehead move of the thing was him telling. I wonder. I wonder if this does tend to turn to Republicans. Hey, by the way, you make voting easier because your voters also get disenfranchised when you make it harder to vote. Susan Collins is an example of that. It, it, it should be. Should every Republican and Democrat should take classes in Susan Collins. Uh, Susan Collins political political campaigning because. She can she can bring off the one that she's pro-choice, but vote with a with a with a party that always votes heavily for pro-life, and still she can still say she's pro-choice. For an example of it, right? She's she's just you know it shows the main independent street. But I think also like the one thing the Republicans actually I think had in their favor this year that I think is really interesting is that yeah the Senate went in their favor, and I still think that they're the other thing that you see that is that there is still really really smooth and creative uh, Republican operatives. But they're not running the Trump campaign. They ran state senate, state rate senate races, and congressional races, and governors races that had were not from the Trump wing of the party. What what seems to be also happening at the moment is the talking of the president of the United States is he um, is saying that he only lost because of fraud and doesn't look like he's going to accept the result. Steve, what what what's going on? Is it, what 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 what's the um the possibility of shenanigans 
And how worried should we be? This is all going to be um, Joe Biden's going to have it snatched away from his fingers. There's been a viral kind of video which was uh, of Bernie Sanders on, I think, one of the late night talk shows. I can't remember which one it was, um, where where Sanders basically lays out the uh, strategy that uh, uh, Donald Trump would take in in the event of um, you know Biden looking like he was going to win the election, which was there will be a red red mirage. Um, because of delays to, in battleground states um, of counting like mail-in ballots, which this will make it look like the Republicans are winning when they're not. Um, the result of this is uh, Donald Trump will, in these states, claim victory um, and then uh, will use that and then allege that um, we should stop counting these other votes because they've come in after election day or, or you know, they're not legitimate in some form. And lo and behold, this is exactly what's what's happened. This isn't because Sanders is like Nostradamus or in particular uh, has any particularly more insight than anything else. It's, it's been quite obvious that the, 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 the GOP have been kind of planning this for, for, for a while. This is the entirety of the reason that Trump's been kind of going, oh, yeah, those mail-in ballots, they're, they're, um, they're, they're, they're really open to, to fraud. They are for the past God knows how many months. With Trump looking like he's losing, the president is having a hissy fit, um, to, to, to be brutally honest, um, and is de- trying to declare that, uh, well, one, he went on national TV and declared himself the winner in all of the states, which he isn't a winner in and had not been declared a winner in. And in most of most of them, um, I think really at the moment, it's only North Carolina, which is like a kind of like a vaguely battlegrounding type state where it looks like he might still win. All of the others, he he was he would uh, already started falling behind in. He has now just trying to persuade the American people in the most Trumpy way possible that something bad is happening. Um, the Democrats are trying to steal the election. Normally, with these sorts of claims, you have to provide evidence of, of, of such things occurring. The beauty of actually having a legal system, um, especially one of the advantages of actually having a kind of like separate states with their own separate look, rules and, and regulations and things, is that they uh, all, uh, you have to prove fraud in each of those individual states. So the Trump campaign has now started trying to get court cases active where they can say so they can try, hopefully get a few uh, wins in and go hey look look we're, we're winning these things it's clear something dodgy is going on here the problem is that isn't working for them at the moment of all of the court cases that they've kind of tried to to get going so far they have only won one of them and the one that they've won was not so much as a case of, oh, oh, look, there's there's dodgy things going on. It was, hey, can we stand a little bit closer to the uh, to the to the to the people who are tallying the uh, the vote counts? We were 25 feet away. We would like to be six feet away to which the judge went. You're right. I think that one's in Pennsylvania. But at the same time, you've got other states like Georgia, where they've tried to put in um, similar claims of voter irregularity, and and all of the judges have just immediately thrown them out. In some cases, literally cite, just kind of citing one sentence at them and basically saying, "This isn't our job. You need to provide evidence of these sorts of things." Um, you know, we don't. We're not here to, um, to to adjudicate on things that might have happened. If it has happened, prove it. And as a result, they've been losing these court cases, which in turn means that they are kind of stuck in a position where they're not necessarily able to pr- provide any kind of proof to, to any of the claims. 
And at the same time as this, you have you you you, you don't necessarily have the GOP backing uh, Donald Trump up on this. It seems to be a lot of them are they're walking a fine line. I'd say they're not. Uh, uh, well, some of them are actually saying no, count every vote. It's like this is what a democracy is. You have others who are wording things a bit more carefully. Um, but they are not jumping fully on board the uh, the Trump train um, and, and alleging fraud. In fact, it seems to basically just be Donald Trump's family and Judy um, and Rudy Giuliani who are kind of really bigging, bigging up. Yeah. So at the moment, the shenanigans that they might, they are trying to do post election hasn't really been very successful. That is not to say they haven't actually been successful in, in, in other forms of shenanigans. You know, I think we, we discussed on some previous episodes some of the things that had been happening in regards to the uh, US Post Service, um, where um, basically things were being shut down, machine sorting machines turned off and, and, and dismantled to uh, make it slower um, and harder for, for mail to get processed, which of course means that mail-in ballots take longer to get processed and might not get get to people in time, get to where they need to be in time. And uh, as a result of all of this, you end up with federal court cases happening where um, the uh, US Postal Services is ordered to do sweeps of their buildings and in, in, in battleground states and to, specific, to specifically um, try and find and locate ballots that have been like held up to which the uh, head of the US Postal Service declines to do so. And I believe some of the figures were something like 300,000 votes um, across various states had been kind of like caught up in this. And, you know, it's the sort of thing where, hey, you know what, we're talking about how close um, Georgia is and, and, and all that might not be anywhere near as close. Um, as, as we actually think it is, depending on how many of those Georgian, uh, how many ballots have been caught up in this um, active uh, uh, attempt to kind of block people's votes from being counted. When it comes to like the the Trump campaign's electoral shenanigans, at the moment it doesn't look like it's going to make much of a difference to the actual outcome. In theory, I suppose this could get up to the to the Supreme Court, and of course you then get into oh, are they going to be partisan or not? But you can actually look at the um, the cases that the Supreme Court was taking before the um, before the election, because they like, a lot of these sorts of cases were, were coming for them as as, as they tend to um, in the run up to elections, and you can see that there are uh, quite some interesting correlations between the decisions that are being made. So like uh, Kavanaugh, for instance, of course, one of the more conservative uh, members of the court. Um, uh, was con- was consistently voting along, uh, well, consistently kind of like siding with um, whichever um, participant in the case was kind of like linked strongly strongest to states' rights. So, and that was not just a case of hey, that was always the Republican side of things. Actually, in some cases, it was the Republicans. In some cases, it was the Democrats. But he was pretty much consistently going, nope, the states have the right to set this. This is their law. This is what what should stand. The federal government does not have the ability to over overrule this. So, even if it necessarily does get up to the Supreme Court, like we actually have a lot, a fair bit of evidence so far to support the notion that it isn't necessarily going to to be ruled on in in a way that's favourable to Trump and the GOP. That's even if it gets up to the Supreme Court, or even if the Supreme Court decides to hear it, because you can apply to have it heard by the Supreme Court, and they can tell you to go go away. I suspect that might be where you get to, because 
whilst the whilst Donald Trump, who obviously wants to really use the Supreme Court as a as a kind of a, a political a political tool, the GOP in and of itself doesn't necessarily want to do it in a very blatant and overt way. And if they were to do that, it undermines the entire notion of the Supreme Court, which means any kind of changes that they do are able to get through moving forward are considered illegitimate. And it means that the second the uh, the Democrats are in a position where they can do things with the Supreme Court, they are going to be they're going to have some legitimate claim to be able to do them because at the moment. Like, yes, like the Democrats have been talking about, you know, court packing or, um, you know, term limits and things like that. Those are still quite radical ideas. And there's no necessarily evidence from the perspective of a lot of average voters that it's necessary to, to do that because the Supreme Court still functions, the Supreme Court still works. If people see that the Supreme Court doesn't work and it isn't a check and balance anymore, that, that argument goes away. So it might actually be more in the GOP's favour. And given, and I think actually Amy Coney Barrett was chosen because she's a GOP loyalist necessarily rather than a Trump one. You know, it, it's more in their... Um, their interests for the long term to actually look at the case properly and look at it on its own merits of which there would be none yeah you made all really good points but uh you're more you're more of a you have more hopeful towards republicans than i do because i'm a giant pessimist towards anything related to it as i still think they're just partisan hacks and so is kavanaugh the one thing i'm interested is i think what's going to happen even if it goes to supreme court and even if they rule in favor i just think that what it goes out to be that it's about ninety-five thousand or hundred thousand is the vote difference in pennsylvania there's not enough it won't matter what the supreme court says 273 273 votes will be cemented is is my is my is my thing on that one you could see this coming from a mile away and why bernie sanders was correct but i don't think it took a rocket science to see that they were going to do this one is that it shows the inability of the Trump campaign to understand how campaigns work, that you need to have a message and you need to, and you need to one. So he basically said, I'll do what I use, which has worked out in my career all the time is I'll suit up Jesus out of people and, and I'll have more money. And then they will just finally just settle with me because they don't want to hear from me any, many, anymore. But that's not how democracy works. If he's not going to get Republicans, this, Republican judges to throw out ballots that were done through drive-in voting in Texas from a super Republican circuit court judge that they got that in front of they're not going to get flimsy things it just shows you that there that a lot of even in most republicans voting voting rights is settled law with the exception of stuff related to voting rights act because at the the end of the day john roberts is still a, a conservative and thinks that there isn't racism in this country and we've all went past that we can we can do that but in terms of straight electoral law law that's where state rights becomes big as you said with kavanaugh it's a really it's a really good point to know that states you know these these conservatives run on states rights they 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 and it is a there's a belief that um electoral law is settled by state legislatures and not by the courts so i think there's a there's an optimistic point of view about all of this and there's a very pessimistic point of view i think you've sort of outlined the optimistic point of view which is that actually with a lot of this stuff you need to have the evidence on election day that fraud is happening which you can prove in the courts and the trump campaign hasn't done that you've got the fact that actually um fox news isn't repeating a lot of these claims. I think actually the coverage generally, from what I can tell, of the American networks has been pretty decent. Yeah, yeah, surprisingly. Especially, it seems to be Rupert Murdoch personally who is, seems to be intervening to 
ensure that actually he's having conversations with Trump saying, look, mate, you've probably lost. And actually backing, say, the fact that Fox has already... Like Fox called Arizona for Trump, I think, about two or three days ago, and CNN still hasn't called it, which made a lot of people very unhappy at the time. Um, but Murdoch's backed them up. And I think that's that's interesting. The other thing, which is something, Steve, that you mentioned when we talked about the prospect of shenanigans before polling day, which is... It's going to be, it's different to 2000. In 2000, it all hinged on Florida and that one state would change the result. If we are looking at a situation where Biden, say, has 290, maybe 306 electoral college votes, it's hard to knock down so many. Um, yeah, in, in, in effect, you'd need to prove cases in both, you know, for instance, Pennsylvania and Georgia. Like the fact that Georgia looks like it's gone blue at the presidential level just ruins any chance of, 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 of shenanigans. Because also it's really hard to make the case specifically in Georgia because it's got a Republican governor and they've got a lot of there's a, Republic, a lot of Republican activity organizing these things. Republican so Secretary of State. Yeah, you've got to literally say that these guys are working in conjunction with the Democrats against their own party's interests. And obviously that's 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 nonsense. If the Democrats were going to cheat, wouldn't you think they'd pick up some House seats and a Senate seat along the way? Yeah. And um, I, yeah. So and, and on that basis, then the Supreme Court should probably reject any claim if it comes to, to that, especially because Amy Coney Barrett may well decide, well, I think that Gary Gerster was saying this on the Talking Politics podcast, you know, a relatively young, a long career of two or three decades ahead of her, does she really want to put that at risk by making such a judgment? On the, 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 the I think the more pessimistic point of view is that although a lot of Republicans haven't gone out of the way to endorse what Trump is saying, you've had a few people like Lindsey Graham say that counting in Philadelphia, you know, is as crooked as a snake. And Mike Pence, you know, will count every legal vote. So it's not like a, it's not a massive repudiation, really, of what the president is saying. Um, no, and that's what I was talking about in regards to the, um, like, the, the the kind of weasel words of it. It's like every legal vote kind of gives them enough room to say, no, we're, we're backing the president, when at the same time they can also go, well, we said legal votes and all of the votes were legal, so it's fine. And the I think the main thing, though, is just this massive... It's a massive issue of this breach of democratic norms. And I think that is a massive, massive, massive problem. Donald Trump is already a president that has emboldened authoritarians throughout the world. And this will only continue to do that. It could, it's already leading to civil unrest and people with guns trying to get into polling, counting, but places where they're counting votes. You do have an issue, I think, of eroding democratic norms in America as well. And so you can easily see a hyperpartisan environment where actually a Supreme Court does try and stitch things up. And I don't think it's necessarily very likely, given what's happening, given, as I say, where Fox seems to be coming from. But I think it's just, it's just a bit grim, really, isn't it? Yeah. I'm really glad that I live in a state that doesn't allow open carry on uh, civil 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 unrest days like this. No, you're right. It's, it is very grim, but it also is like, it, this was a problem before Trump though, in terms of eroding democratic norms. It just, you know, they just, threw, they just uh, poured lighter fluid onto the, I have no confidence that the Republicans aren't going to, I think I think a lot of people are doing some of the stuff that would happen to Hillary Clinton with Democrats. Like a decent amount of Democrats knew Hillary Clinton was a faulted candidate, but they knew they had to pull a little party line because she was the candidate. And I think you're going to start to see this triangulation and, uh, you know, very 
you know, very, very detailed calculation by a lot of Republicans of how do you stay close to how do you stay close to Trump while also being independent of independent of each other? And they can't honestly, they cannot pull away from Trump late because they can't show they can't allow them to see that they're not with Trump voter Trump voters prior to this runoff in Georgia. If there is, if there, if all hell breaks out prior to Georgia it, runoff in runoff in Georgia, and it starts becoming a warring interparty one, and nobody, not everybody's all on hands on deck for Republicans going into the runoff, it's it, it would you know it you know they need to keep it together and figure and but I don't know if they're going to end up settling to stay aligned with Trump enough that the voters like them after he's gone while also put, putting independent, and I think that is a very interest it's going to be a very interesting calculation to see what happens apparently what joe biden's going to do is to talk to his friends and colleagues probably republicans in the senate to see if he can find a lot of um the sort of men in gray suits to actually when he is officially made the winner if it happens which we assume will probably happen in the next day or two that he can find enough republicans to come out and say we accept this result which, I mean, it sounds like a bit of a low bar, but if he can find people like, say, Mitch McConnell does it, they've talked about James Baker, um, who I think was a former Secretary of State under Reagan doing it. They've talked about yeah, people like Mitt Romney, say. And if you find enough people, it makes Trump more and more isolated. And I suppose, given that part of Biden's campaign pitch was, and he said it already in his speeches so far, I am the unifier I will govern for all Americans. I have worked in the past with Republicans to get stuff done and I will do so again as president. Given that that is his pitch, this will be an interesting first test. Do you think that the bar for success is quite low, really? You know, you're probably not going to get a trillion dollar stimulus bill passed if you can't get them to accept that you should be president. But it'll be interesting to see how much that does happen over the next few days. We, well, straight after this, actually, Steve and I are going to have a chat about what we're going to put out on our uh, Patreon page. So if you want to be part of that conversation and uh, help support us, what do you have to do, Steve? Uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash not enough champagne, um, where you can throw us a few quid every month and uh, gain access to uh, unique pieces of content, um, which are only made available to our regulars uh, over on the uh, Patreon. It's a people-powered podcast. <laughs> our website is notenoughchampagne.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash notenoughchampagne. James Cram designed our logo. You can follow him on Twitter at James Cram and Dave Depper composed our theme tune, Lucky Good Times. I'm at Paperback Rioter, Steve. I'm at Acoustic Radical. I am at Cook 11 Happy plotting.